Welcome to the Man on Second Podcast, part of the Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. I'm your host, Joe Frasaro, and today I'm excited with th- with this show. For one, it's the first time I'm doing a show with uh, the coach of the Coach and Kernan Podcast, Dave D'Agostino, is joining me. We are going to do an overview. The last couple of weeks, I've, been, I've kind of been on the road, uh, and early in October, I was up in Jupiter, Florida, for the perfect game of Woodbat Tournament. That's uh, the amateurs, that's the high school players. Uh, many are going to be drafted or go to major colleges. And then the last weekend, I spent uh, six days covering eight games in the Arizona Fall League. I was out in Scottsdale, Arizona. And so we're going to do an overview on, on both events. And um, you know, we're going to give you our insights, the Fall League especially. We're going to hit home hard on that. And, and the other thing I'm excited about is Dave, this week we got a couple of paisans doing this show, and and that's a big thrill to have two Italians uh, talking ball. Yeah, that that's uh, I didn't even think about that. It's uh, we got two two last names ending in vowels, and I'm sure people butcher the spelling of all of ours until you get it down <laughs> on paper. But yeah, two Italians spewing baseball today. You can't get any better than that. It's like bringing us back to the 1950s and 60s when you had the Dimaggios and the uh, Phil Rizzuto's and, and all the, the Italian guys running around the baseball field. Quick, quick baseball story before we dive in. My, my dad, who I, I lost about 10, 11 years ago, long time, grew up in Brooklyn, long time Yankee fan. And one reason he got into the Yankees was because of the Italians in the 1920s. Tony Lazari was one of his first baseball heroes. And my dad was in the Navy in World War II. When he got, when he returned to the U.S. and 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 kind of got brought back in, he was stationed in for about two months in San Francisco. And Tony Lazari owned a bar in San Francisco. My dad got to know Tony. I got photos of my dad and Tony Lazari in my house. Um, and that, and that's our uh, Italian heritage history portion of the show. Um, and uh, my little brush of fame for my father. Uh, but we're going to dive, Dave, into into the fall league first because it's it's interesting. And I got some thoughts, and uh, we're going to lean on your expertise on your coaching and the development aspects of it because the fall league's kind of its intention, Dave, has been to kind of been this quote unquote a finishing league for prospects. And and that's not to say that the that there weren't a number of prospects out there on these six teams out there that aren't really on the cusp of being big league ready. But this, the league is is lacking that. There are some organizations, they're sending 19-year-olds who seem a little mix, mis, uh, mismatched out there. Uh, there's, you know, other leagues that, you know, players there, you know, just the basics are kind of lost on them. And it, it's almost a show, again, it's kind of a continuation. I know you, you hammer home on this on the other shows on the channel of just – you know, really talented ball players not learning baseball. Yeah, I think as a product of our baseball culture, uh, the two two things. In fact, to go back, your coverage was incredible with both the fall league and the perfect game. I loved following it with the prospects, and I had the luxury of having conversations with you in between. So it was it was phenomenal take on it. So I encourage people to to get on there and, and read what you wrote. But um, the fall league, kind of like we talked about with Manny Cologne yesterday, where the winter league 
people started scaling back on the talent they sent there. But uh, the Fall League, we need to send our our guys that are on the cusp of playing. And if we're going to send younger guys there, they need to be prepared. They need how to, the basic stuff. They need to how to run the bases. They need to how to move guys over. They need at least to know the rotation of their position um, and an approach to an at bat. Otherwise, they're they're going to fail uh, miserably there, and it's a waste of time. Yeah, you know, I'm going to give one one quick example. Um, the The Saturday I was out there, I got out there on a Friday, saw a game because you know the going East Coast to West Coast, I, I gained three hours. So you know, you're up like at four in the morning, and you're you know you're there by noon, and you're at a ball game at at six o'clock and the bases are bigger, which, which is good. We'll dive in that a little bit, but the Saturday after they had a triple header in chase field, which has a retractable roof and actually worked out really well because it doesn't rain much in Arizona, but it poured on that Saturday. So all three games got in now one game, the first game started at 11 AM. Then the next one was like two thirty-three, and the last one about six or seven, but the first game, maybe the, the guys were a little tired but it was, they played, because they were three games going, they played seven inning games, which is fine. Some of these teams don't have enough, enough pitching to go nine every day. So so they went seven innings. Well, Dave, it was 0-0 after seven. They played one extra inning game, and both teams scored a run, and it tied 1-1. My point was, people will look at that and say, well, that was a pitcher's duel. Well, I'm just going to let the, the listeners know offhand, there's no quality pitching in the Fall League right now this year. Most of these pitchers there are guys that are either filler or they missed a lot of time with injury. There's no high-end prospects. There's not a lot of quote-unquote stuff there. And a lot of these slop-type pitchers, guys with 89-mile-an-hour fastballs, were getting quick outs, and they were putting up the zeros. And why was that? Nobody offensively, maybe they were early and they, they just didn't feel like playing. Everyone had a big swing approach. Uh, especially getting later in the game, no one, I, I reached over, leaned over, talked to a couple of scout friends. I said, does anyone ever try to bunt for a hit or try to manufacture? You see this game going, you know, you're, you're in the fifth, sixth, seventh inning. No one's trying to get the leadoff guy on doing anything creative. Try to, if you're on, try to run. You know, I, there was like one inning, there was like a leadoff double. The guy stranded there because it's like a ground out to short. The guy can't advance a pop out and strike out something like that. Um, it, it was just the quality of play was completely lost. And for a quote-unquote finishing league, I, w- I would think that the teams would be looking to do those type of things. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you on that. I think with the way baseball is played during the regular season, whether it's major leagues or minor leagues, as we've noted on the show, it's very scripted. These guys are you know pulling index cards out of their hats. They're looking on iPads. Every movement is predetermined. And I and I believe in a situation like the fall league, if finishing is the is still the you know the mode that they want to follow, that these guys have to come in with concepts and principles and skill sets, and now they have to apply them as it pertains to them because they're they're thrown together with a collection of other guys. It's not necessarily a team as it is probably closer to an all star type of setup, and these guys have to know how to play and know how to apply principles of play in order to get it done and. I think you saw exactly what we've been banging on in the show is that there's no intuition out there right now. There's no abilities to think or permission to think. And that probably is a little bit of other than the lack of, as you mentioned, the lack of talent, arm talent there. Um, no ability to think because you go up there and you, you start swinging at these, as you said, 86 mile an hour uh, balls and you, can't, yeah, and you can't fit and play uh, and you're still taking the same big swing approach. It's, it's, it's that 
again, banging on the same drum, these kids are not um, being taught how to think and how to adjust and how to, and that's to me, baseball's, baseball's meant to be played every day. And baseball is a game of adjustments. Those are the two things I'll, I'll hang my hat on. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talk about what makes a winning player. You know, some of that is just doing your part in that inning. You could have had a bad day. You could strike out three times, but you could move a runner. You could, you know, uh, put the ball in play, a sack fly, uh, anything to try to, to help your team make a play defensively. Uh, and you know what else catered? Because it was a good event. You know, don't get me wrong. It, it was it's, it's fun to be at. And not every game is going to be a jewel, but, you know, they draw very well out there too. You know, when I say very well, they might get a thousand a game, but there's three games a day. And keep in mind, this is in the, the meat of uh, football season. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and their games, sometimes they're at, you know, two in the afternoon or 1230, one o'clock and then six, seven o'clock. Um, and, and the, there's a lot of interest in it and that's all well and good. Well, playing at Chase Field, home of the Diamondbacks, they had access to the big scoreboard. So what did we see up there? 102 mile an hour ground out. Um, you know, the, the break on a pitch, all, all the fancy graphics that baseball is selling. And, and that's fine. I, I like seeing that, but I think the players you're in, you're in Chase Field. You want to hit a homer in the big league park now, right? You're not in the spring training minor league parks. So you're in the big league park. You want to hit the homer there. So you, you get a lot of that. I think uh, I think the players tended to play to thinking that, hey, I'm in a big league park, which is a thrill to these guys. But uh, again, I, I wanted to see a little bit more of execution and trying to figure out how to get a run in or how to make things happen without the, you know, what the what they say, the three uh, outcomes. Yeah, the three. And I think so, so people get the idea. The Arizona Fall League is a, is a wonderful <clears throat> tool for Major League Baseball. But Major League Baseball has to play their part and prepare the guys for it to take advantage of the finishing opportunity. And they have to send the prospects there that are, you know, the guys that are just close to being finished as products to come up to the bigs or move up to that double AA, A, triple A level. The 102 mile an hour ground outs, I shake my head at that stuff because to me, it's like going to the carnival and, you know, punching that punching bag. So they can see how much pounds per score inch you punch. Uh, you know, it's, it, to me, I always liken that stuff to if you were going to hire a lawyer, you wouldn't hire a lawyer who knows the most words. You're going to hire a lawyer that knows how to, uh, to try a case or uh, understands the legalities of your situation, much like in baseball. If, you, if you're going to bring up the guy that hits 102 mile an hour ground outs, it's still an out. You know, we, uh, <laughs> you can't get past that point. I'd rather have and I'm a, a former minor league player. I don't know. I mean, I would hate to see my exit velocity. And I had, I know I had a negative launch angle because I was a switch hitter that was taught to hit the ball on the ground. Um, I would have had, a, I would have not been a fun guy to look at on the scoreboard by any means. And, you know, it's interesting you say hit the ball on the ground. Oh, let me just first tell just uh, to, to educate our audience a little bit. Uh, you know, there are 30 big league teams. There are six fall league teams. So the players come from like each team will have players from five big league teams. Uh, and and if you're an Arizona-based spring training site, you stay on on that team. That's why, like Arizona, it's the Salt River team for the Diamondbacks. They share that complex with Colorado. Those two teams are are part. Their prospects are on the same team, along with players from three other teams, and, and so forth. But you're you're talking about you know hit the ball on the ground, and this is what another thing interesting because the fall league. And this, again, speaks to send your closest to big league ready guys, because this is the first time we're seeing 2023 rules in apply. In, in apply. 
uh, meaning there's no shifting. The infielder's feet can't be on the outfield grass. They have to be on the infield dirt. And the bases are bigger. Now, you know, those just a couple inches bigger, uh, first, second, and third bases are bigger. So to be honest, the, the size of the bases didn't seem much different, and I think the players are going to quickly adapt to it. But an observation, Dave, I got was without the shifting, the ground ball single up the middle that's hit because they'll show that exit velo, that 85, 90-mile-an-hour ground ball up the middle, now is a base hit because what I noticed pretty much every team did, okay, if there's a right-handed hitter up, the second baseman can't cross second base onto the shortstop side, so he will be, you know, a foot or two on the, you know, the right field side of second base, but the shortstop, you know, he's not up the middle. He's in that in that six hole, you know, fairly close to the short uh, to the third baseman, based on where you know they think that that hitter hits most of the ground ball. So even that, you know, ninety-ish to hundred mile an hour ground ball. Even if the infielder gets it, he's going to have a really hard time throwing the runner out. And that second baseman's having a hard time hitting, you know, reaching anything on the pull side for the hitter. Yeah, I, I, I have mixed emotions about the shift. I didn't like it when they started doing it. I thought it made baseball just look ugly. But the same token, I don't like that they're making them get back to no shift because the hitters didn't earn it. Uh, I can't even imagine somebody shifting. Um, a guy like Rod Carew or Tony Gwynn, uh, even Barry Bonds speaks about it. These guys would would tear that up. Just it's a difference now. I mean, you talked about some of the young guys coming there just swinging same swing path at eighty six mile an hour fastballs. That's the byproduct right now of all these young kids coming up the line having swing coaches instead of learning how to hit. And you know, Tiger Woods needed a swing coach because he's Tiger Woods in golf. Uh, Every little, you know, Johnny on every corner doesn't need a swing coach. And, and unfortunately, that's become the norm with these kids. And they, they're trying to get the perfect swing. And there's no such thing. They've got to learn, you know, what do you do with a 2-0 count? What do you do with that, you know, breaking pitch on an 0-2 count? Um, and what do you do when the infield is, you know, shifted, not shifted? Um, I like that it's going back because the infielders now are going to be forced to play the positions. And I think the athleticism that we have in baseball is better than it's ever been. Um, everybody will say that. Now we're going to get a chance to see these guys really display their athleticism. But I am stubborn in the fact that I wish the hitters had earned the right to put it back that way. Yeah, yeah. I think I think roster construction is going to change. You're going to need, you know, that, you, you know, I think there are a lot of big league clubs that look at that shortstop hit first tool. Um, and not to say we're going to go back to the, the Bud Harrelson days where a guy could hit like 200 and be an everyday shortstop with one homer. Uh, but you're going to need range. You're going to need a shortstop with range, a second baseman with range, and not just range, arm strength. You know, so I think that you know you you're not you're not going to have the benefit of being in the spot where the ball's hit. You know, if it's on the ground, it's hit seventy percent of the time to this one little area. Yeah, and I and I hope guys are going to start practicing more of the traditional ways to handle uh, their positions. We saw it with the Yankees in the playoffs with. You know, everybody jumped on Kiner Falafa for that play at, uh, between Glaber and him. But that was a clear miscue by Glaber, in my opinion, as a former second baseman. He was working away from the ball. It should have been a drop step and an overhand or uh, kind of a sidearm feed. Or if he had an underhand feed, it and follow. But he power used a power feed for that. And we'll hear about that from Perry Hill, um, where you've got to be moving back towards the ball. And your nonverbal communication is your chest showing to your shortstop. And 
he clearly didn't do that. He couldn't see that the chest was where you power feed from. And to me, that was a byproduct of spending more time on index cards, looking at shift rotations rather than learning how to field your position and getting reps. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, you know, how, how it plays out. I still don't think the hitter is going to necessarily look to hit the ball on the ground. Uh, you know, they're still going to try to drive the ball if slugging percentage still matters. But yeah. I think the situational hitting should should greatly improve or be taught. You know, that seemed to have gotten away from the sport because I, we've all seen plenty of games where, that leadoff guy gets on second or he gets on third and there's like three straight strikeouts or, or right. two strikeouts. And then the, the fly ball to center field that would have got the run home, but becomes the third out in the inning. Um, so I, I'm thinking we're going to see that, but I think to kind of remedy what, what we're talking about, it, it's not unfair to put that on the players themselves. You're going to have to get all 30 teams to kind of figure out, you know, what do we want to make the objective of the fall league? So it's kind of hard because you, you only have a, a coach of that team, the manager and the coaching staff. That that guy is with one organization, right? You know, and and maybe one organization wants their players just to track pitches. Maybe another organization wants the guy to play, you know, center field when he's not a true center fielder, just to get him work there, or a catcher, a converted catcher, to get him work there. So you're gonna have to kind of figure out how much you want to learn because there was a, one play. Um, in one other game where ball hit to right field, guy on second, fly ball, kind of routine. It was a little deep, but the right fielder had a cannon for an arm, and he was wanting to show it. He he gets it, and he almost throws the ball into the left field bleachers. I mean, he just completely overthrew it, and the guy ended up not tagging because he, he kind of gave the bluff, but the pitcher didn't even – back up third until the last minute and somehow retrieved it to keep it from being an error. But it was like, we talked in instincts, why isn't a pitcher automatically backing up third and what's the right fielder doing? Does he look for a cutoff or is he just looking to show the 80 arm strength? Yeah, no, those are, <laughs> those are little league points right there that, that should be taught way back when, but yeah, I, anytime there's a runner on first base, pitcher's first instinct on a hit through the infield is to sprint, we always say dissect the third baseline, get to the, the as far as you can on the field, and then figure out where the play is, either back up third or, or get behind home plate. As far as the cutoffs go, uh, we've had some great catchers on our show, uh, on, on some of the shows. I fear with all this control going on in the game that we're losing, in my opinion, the most valued position on the field, which is the catcher. Um, the, it's got the least number of people in the Hall of Fame because it's a hard position to play mentally and physically and produce. And we're taking so much away from the catcher right now that uh, a play like that, if everybody's in disarray, that's your catcher right there dictating the chaos on the field and let, talking to the pitcher first. I always tell my son, who's a catcher, uh, just just got back from uh, from a great camp with Tom Griffin at Carson Newman. Uh, but as soon as that ball's hit through the infield, your first guy is the pitcher because he's he's now still caught in that pitch mode. Use a name, use a location, get him off the field, and then now start lining up your cuts for the next play based on the situation. So, yeah, and again, you're right. You can't bang on the players um, because they're there to be finished. But I would, I would, again, I'm not over the Arizona Fall League, but I would have two components of it. One component would be this is going to be spring training part two. We're going to just remind people, PFP, moving guys over, cutoffs. We're going to get guys reminded because they're going to go back into spring training shortly. And then we're also going to take that one, one or two things that each club wants a guy to do, like you know, like you said, a converted catcher, 
Um, you know, a guy that just was injured, just needs at bats. Hey, let's put him at the top of the lineup. We know he's not a leadoff hitter, but let's get him as many at bats to help this club out. It should be um, selfish in the regard where each team should get a little bit, but also to say these, this is supposed to be our next crop of guys. Let's make sure they're ready. Yeah, because what's going to happen is, because there's plenty of media out there covering it, but they're getting all the analytical data. So what they'll have is, and they'll write this, it'll, it'll appear in, in publications. Oh, right fielder, that throw was 98 miles an hour. And we'll praise the, the arm strength of the right fielder. Zero accuracy, zero, you know, you know, you know, feel for what he is doing. And, you know, and, and basically in, in the pitcher could have cost himself a run, let's say it's a one-run game, by just lacking just maybe it was, you know, lost track of time or whatever. But again, we, we want these players to be thinking and and you know taking advantage of these opportunities because you know the fact that they've already went to seven inning games showed that this isn't so much about the result, even though they do have a championship game and so forth. But a good number of games, like I said, were seven innings. One team, they were short on pitching. One of the pitchers on the other team went over to that the other the opposition to give them an arm. So some of these players were even caught off guard that their teammate was pitching against them only because they needed somebody to pitch like the seventh inning. Oh wow. Yeah, that's to me that's roster construction. That's uh planning. And really, you know, you, you take a guy again, I hate to go keep going back to Manny because he's worn so many hats. We're not looking to put more jobs on the poor guy, but a guy like Manny Cologne overseeing something like the Arizona fall league, um, where you have the abilities to plan, but within that planning, you can handle chaos like that to say, what if, and then have guys on reserve or guys there handy, local guys that are minor leaguers. Um, but, uh, each club, I think, in order to fully engage in this, probably has to get some selfish, uh, I guess, some selfish production from it in that, hey, we're not going to abuse your arms. We're going to get him, you know, but it should also be used to teach to say we're going to have, uh, you know, this guy needs a third pitch. We just want him. We want him throwing in games. Yes, but we want him working bullpen sessions. Can he come out of this with a third pitch? Yeah, uh, those can all be productive things, but it's, it can't just be an exercise in futility to say we're running the Arizona Fall League. Let's throw baseball players there. They've got uniforms on, the innings, the scoreboards, and let's just hope for the best. I think that it's based on, and again, I wasn't there. Um, you were there, but I, I, I caught it from a number of different angles. And I think it can. it's a tool that can be utilized more, a lot like we talked about Winter League. I wish there was the Fall League, and then we had our own Winter League or an extension of the Fall League over here to take full advantage of the time that's, I mean, it's nice weather in the South, you know. We're, we're yep. both in the Southeast, so... Um, to, to let these guys play more. They need more at-bats. Because what's the adage? I mean, guys need to get five, 600 at-bats in the minors uh, in order to feel like they're ready for the bigs, uh, maybe more. Yeah, yeah and, it's like 1,500, which is, which is like three years. If yeah. you have three years at 500 at-bats, it's like, you know, at least 1,000 at-bats, 1,200, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, sorry, I missed 500. A year. Yeah, you got to get – but these, this is another avenue where they can do that. And it's it's only – I think it only helps the big league clubs if they do so. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to switch gears a little bit here and we're going to talk about uh, some of the players, Dave, uh, who, who stood out. There's there's a number of really good players. I'm, so the, the numbers uh, the players I'm going to mention are, are doesn't mean I'm, guys I overlook don't think are very good there because there's a ton there. But Dave, you're talking about catchers and um, and your son and, and the lack of it. Two of them I, I wrote on a list. I gave you the prep here. Um, Henry Davis in the pirate system. He went one one overall in the twenty twenty one draft out of Louisville to the to the Pirates. I got to see Henry Davis behind the plate 
And um, and then uh, someone that uh, we talked about on the Man on Second podcast with Danny Alvarez a couple of weeks back, uh, Jefferson Cuero from the Milwaukee yeah. Brewers. He was there. I got to see both of them. Those are probably the two best catchers there. Henry Davis, uh, let's spend a minute there because I kind of just focused on his glove and his glove work. He, he reminds me behind the plate a lot of JT Real Muto. He's very athletic, very smooth. You could just see the pitchers like throwing to him. He can control down in the zone, up in the zone, really soft hands. Um, you know, uh, I know some of the traditional catchers, they don't like the on the knee, but, uh, you know, they they do that for framing. And maybe if they do, you know, change the rules a little bit, go the robo ump where that framing isn't as important. Um, but he's a guy that has a chance to be a really special catcher. Um, I know he is no more for his hitting. His swing is a, a little awkward to me. It's a, it's a little, it's not it's not the smoothest load and, and swing. But you know, catching it's hard to hit anyway because of the demands of the of the glove. But uh, he has a chance to be a pretty special player. And then and then Cuero, that guy is super lightning quick, pop time, throws guys out. Uh, really young, I think he's nineteen, maybe he just turned twenty. Uh, he's going to move really fast. He could be in the big leagues within a year. And um, he's out of Venezuela. And those were the two guys that really caught my eye. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong there. I Again, I have an affinity for catchers. I, I was a second baseman, but the catcher and the second baseman before the shift were the supposed to be the brains on the outfit uh, on the fields, uh, talking it through catcher to pitcher, second baseman to your outfield and keeping the infield straight. But Davis, uh, you know, he battled through a little bit of a wrist injury this year, uh, got placed on the IL a little. So this was important for him, I think, to get some more at-bats. He's only 23. I think I think he hit a shade below 200 this year. But I mean, hitting is tough when you're getting used to the the wood and and the minor league pitchers don't throw any slower than the major league guys. They just have less accuracy, and that's harder to dig in. Well, when you're seeing 99 and you don't know where it's going to go. But I think this kid's got a bright future ahead of him. He's a, he's a, I think he's a really good receiver, um, as you saw. You know, regardless of what the, the knees, I'm I'm a I'm a traditionalist, as everybody knows in the podcast. I'm not big on the one knee. They are teaching ways to block off that, but I think it's it's debilitating. But he, again, he's he's got a job and he has to do what they they tell him to do. I think he'll eventually hit. I think he's got a good hit tool, and I think he'll stick as a catcher. I, I don't see them moving him off that spot as they try to do with young catchers uh, with with uh, with nice bats. But boy, coming out of college, you know, people talked about you know. Just this kid's a can't miss prospect. But he, he, uh, I think he hit over 300. He had a great slash line out there in Arizona. I think he was over three. The traditional, right? I'm seeing the Silver Slugger awards out now with Luke Voigt, 200 average, 300 on base, 400 <laughs> slugging. That's the old, I guess that's the new 300, 400, 500. But uh, Davis was 333, 444, and, and, uh, and 545. Uh, so that, that was a good, he, I think he, he had a good showing out there. And, uh, drew, he drew six walks too. So um, he recovered from the wrist injury. You saw him, I, you know, the eye test with catching. I think that's more important than, than metrics with that position. But uh, yeah, he, he seems to, he seems to be on the rise. I could see him getting there. The, the other guy too. I mean, I've heard tons of great things about Jefferson Cuero, who less, I guess, less ballyhooed coming out because he was from Venezuela. So not a lot of the, you know, the, the U S people knew who he was, but boy, that kid is, both those guys are athletes back there. And that's what I like. Um, you could put them if you put them out in infield play and tell them to go play shortstop, they'd probably look pretty smooth out there. Um, yeah, th- yeah, not to interrupt, Dave, but what also catches my eye is and I think this is kind of undervalued, doesn't speak, isn't said enough. 
the confidence to pitch to these guys because there are catchers out there who aren't very good and and it reflects in a pitching line with uh you know a pass ball as a a wild pitch should have been a pass ball type of thing. A guy advances, pitchers aren't confident throwing balls, breaking balls because they, you know, they're not going to be blocked. Uh, you know, they can't get a, a batter to chase. So there is highly, highly noticeable to me when Davis and and Quero were behind the plate compared to some of the other catching I saw this, you know, from those other teams. Oh yeah, it's a great point. I, you know, with catchers, kind of we're talking intricate, but getting back to simplicity, like you're talking. Um, both those guys don't turn strikes into balls. They catch strikes and they keep them strikes. I think framing sometimes can be overrated uh, a little bit, but um, they also give the pitchers that confidence, as you mentioned, to, to bury a breaking ball. And there's not a better feeling in the world to a pitcher. You can see the relief on them when they're able to bury a breaking ball when they're ahead 0-2 and they know that that catcher is going to block it, even if there's nobody on base. It's just that confidence booster that I can throw anything anywhere and this guy's not going to allow somebody to advance 90 feet on me. Yeah, and it's just so easy. They just snare stuff that looks like it's going to the backstop and the, and the and the runners, you know, they control the running game because they know that these guys got their eye on you. They they know the field. They got everything under control. And uh but yeah, those those two are two guys that really stood out to me. Two guys on the Salt River team um that really st- stood out also um Jordan Walker you know, I know he was playing third base in the Cardinal system. He was playing left field, center field. That guy's monster player. Uh, and Jordan Lawler, shortstop, Arizona Diamondbacks. Lawler might be the um, the best player there, you know, in terms of pure talent. Um, he didn't play a lot, though. He, he's been nursing some injuries. He, he had shoulder surgery a, a year or so ago and had a little medical scare this year. But that kid has a chance to be a superstar. He's you know, he, he draws all sorts of Derek Jeter comps. His favorite player was Derek Jeter. And, uh, you know, I taught, I interviewed Lawler and, uh, and, and then speaking to him and I, and I mentioned a lot of these kids cause these guys are, are still teenagers, if not just turning 20. And, and I noticed they play with smiles on their faces and, and why that's important is you could tell there's a love for the game and, and just quick story with, with Lawler. You know, he he had a surgery and was out for a year, like a, two years ago, I think it was 21 season. And he and and uh, Corbin Carroll, the Diamondbacks, really, really talented uh, outfield prospect. He also was recovering from injury. And both of those players were every day, like going to the big league games when they were in town, sitting with scouts and learning the game for, as a spectator. While I've seen a lot of players and covered a lot of players who got hurt and you never see them there. If they miss two months, they go do rehab somewhere. They're not around the, the club. Sometimes that's, you know, intentional. The team doesn't nearly want the injured players there, but it was really refreshing that these players really were becoming students of the game when they physically weren't able to play. But that, that's my story on Waller and Walker. That just, that guy just looks the part. Dave, I mean, he's he's a monster out there. You know, he's the guy. He's the guy you do pay attention to the exit below because it's like in the one fifteen type of stuff. You know, that <laughs> that well above average type guy. No way he's going to stay third base, but uh, but the Cardinals got a good, a really good one there. It sounds like that was a you know as as you mentioned, yeah, Lawler is a stud. He's he's got the exit below of a guy like Giancarlo Stanton already, even as a young 
young prospect. And you're probably right. I think he'll project as a corner um, outfielder. Uh, going to uh, – jo- I'm sorry, Walker, I should say. But going to Jordan Lawler, the, the comp with Jeter, I mean, obviously that's got to open the kid's eyes. He's got he, he's got all the tools. He's 6'2", about 190. He's uh, He steals bases. I don't think people talk enough about that. He's stolen, I think, over 40, 40 bases in the minors, maybe close to 50. And that's 6'2", 190, that's not a small guy uh, yeah. doing that. He's shown some power, but he's that, that traditional uh, kind of stat line that we talked about. He's a 300 hitter, 400 on base, 500 slugging. And I hope these young guys with the enthusiasm that are out there watching the game, playing the game, thinking the game, like these two young guys you mentioned, um, give us that next generation of player that kind of takes us, I don't want to say take us back. I don't want to be the guy that says, get off my lawn, this is the way, but but find that happy medium between all these wonderful numbers that we're able to see the game from a different angle now and and really bring it back to that guy, as you said, with the smile on his face that's out there fielding the balls the right way, that's taking the extra base, that's that's doing that approach. There's a marriage there somewhere. And maybe guys like you're mentioning, and maybe stories like you're writing on these guys will help uh, kind of give people a good perspective on where the game is and where we need to go. Yeah, and, and I will mention Lawler again because he is, you know, anyone with a Jeter comp recognizes they're kind of carrying a torch. A little you know, bit, yeah. For the next generation. And I think, you know, the, to the younger fans, because they're, they're falling in love with these guys. You know, these are the, the stars they're going to grow up on. These are going to be their their favorite young players there. And, and it's just it's encouraging and refreshing to see that these guys still have a lot of enthusiasm and passion. I think it's just a matter of of learning the game the the way uh, the right way. A couple other guys before we move on to the to the perfect game. Um, Kumar Rocker, I saw him. Uh, well, actually, I didn't see him, but I heard you know he he's pitcher for Texas. Everyone knows he's uh, the former NFL player Tracy Rocker's son. Um, had went to Vanderbilt, had the the medical issue, the the. You know, was drafted by the Mets a couple of years ago. That that fell through, and he re-entered the draft. Went to Texas. Uh, from what I'm hearing, still has got work to do. It's there's still some question marks whether whether Kumar is ready. So I guess the fall league's good for him to try to pitch his way back up to you know appearing like he's a front end starter. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, he was the number one guy on that staff that saw um, a different pitcher. Uh, you know, get drafted. Much higher. Same organization, though, with Texas. Uh, ironically, they ended up together. Um, but, yeah, Rocker, again, as you say, he looked the part coming through Vandy, and he was as very much a number one guy in that staff all the way through, and just the stock just dropped uh, coming up to that first draft with the Mets. I still don't know if everybody knows what went on. Uh, you know, there's talk of potential injury. Uh, but he did come back in the independent league, I guess, and, and threw yeah. well. And then now he's, uh, yeah, but a fall league for a guy like Rocker is ideal because he, I don't want to say he missed a year, but, um, you know, a little bit happened to him. And I think people needed to see where he's at and where he's coming. But any particulars as to what they're saying as far as, you know, what he needs to. The quality of the stuff isn't isn't there yet, you know, so it's just he's going to have to kind of build that back. And, um, you know, it just. Yeah, so the finish, all all that stuff. Uh, it, you know, it's again. I, I guess we're just cautioning. You know, he is a little bit older because you know he's in his twenties, went to college, and so forth. Uh, he could be a little bit further away. I mean, we hope he he can it clicks for him and he can get on track and is a fast riser. But as of now, you know, he he still's got some room to grow. And and before we move on, uh, uh, um, Novi Marte, uh, just uh, he's in the red system. And we're bringing him up because he was part of that big Luis Castillo trade with 
you know, Seattle and and Cincinnati. Uh, Marte, he's the um, he's the sack cast hero, 461 foot homer. Um, you know, he, he's he's played shortstop, but he's playing a lot of third base in the fall league. Um, good looking prospect. Yeah, no, he, um, I don't know as much about him. I have seen and heard third party from from people in and around the game. But yeah, I think he's when when all is said and done with that Castillo trade, I think we're going to be talking about the steal uh, that Marte is in that because you're right. I, I saw the stat cast thing and I, and I complain about the numbers, but the stat cast number when it flashed across mine, it made me take a look at a second look at Marte and say, okay, what haven't I paid much attention to with him? What was his glove like out there? Did you see much glove well, action? He, he was playing third, and you could see he probably profiles more there, you know, um, than short, which is, is true with a lot of these guys. You know, it's uh, there's a there's a reason why you're a big league shortstop, but I, I think it's going to be fine. I think he's going to be fine. But you know, in Cincinnati, it's a hitter's park. But like you say, if you're hitting the, if you're hitting the ball more than 450 feet, then you're in a different conversation. And when you're over 460, you know, you're going to you know because Jordan you know Jordan Walker is that type of guy too. And that's why, and, and why that matters is they don't need to get all of it to do big damage. You know, that, that's, a, that's a big advantage, these guys, with the high exit below and the high distances. You know, they can miss hit balls better than some of these other guys hit flush, and they're still rewarded. And so, again, now a great trade by, by Cincinnati. Obviously, they, they let go of a superstar pitcher, but... Um, you know, got a really good prospect in return. Uh, we're going to switch over now to perfect game because, um, you know, that that is the next wave. And that was in Jupiter. And that's a fun event. A uh, couple of names. I, I, I do freelance stuff for Scorebook Live. Um, uh, it's Scorebook Live uh, Sports or SB Live. And there earlier in the month, two, two offensive players that really caught my eye, Dave. Walker Jenkins from, um, from North Carolina. He's a University of North Carolina commit. Big outfielder, lefty bats, got a, might be the best prep hitter in this draft. And Kevin McGonagall, who who's kind of a, a guy I have a lot of passion for, um, shortstop, second baseman out of Philadelphia. He's a an Auburn commit. Those two guys have a chance. And and when I talk about players who play with a smile on their face and kind of know the circuit, what impressed me with these guys, along with their skill set, Dave, is they were very selfless. They were talking a lot about this being the end of their travel ball career. And they, and they you know, because a lot of players didn't play in this. Uh, uh, just uh, to background it, um, you know, uh, the hurricane came through Southwest Florida and, and did a lot of damage. So uh, a, lot of this, a lot of the teams from the West Coast of Florida did not attend this event. So it was a down a little bit. And, and then just naturally, from what I also understand, USA Baseball season extended a little bit deeper into September. Perfect game was a little bit earlier in October. So a lot of agents, uh, you know, basically pulled their, their pitching prospects or, or, you know, recruits out. And so just to see kids that wanted to be in Florida, these are out-of-state kids, and, and participate was encouraging to me. Yeah, no, that's a great event. And I think it's a it's fun for a lot of reasons. It's it's how travel baseball and all the sports really started and, and was when it was a good, really good thing for everybody where you had all this talent nationwide. And then just one time a year, two times a year, you, you brought them all together to see who the best of the best was or in pockets throughout the year. Now it's it's every weekend with this stuff. But I love uh, uh, McGonagall. I love his game. He's a uh, 
he's kind of a throwback hitter where we talk about war of attrition at the plate where guys are, you know, kind of bleeding the pitchers, making them pitch, 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 pitch. He's a first pitch aggressive hitter. And I love that about him. He's a kid that'll be, I think he's, he's going to be a USA member. Uh, he's going to be, uh, I think a high draft pick. And I love the fact that he's a middle guy and that you, you rarely find someone that is classified as a middle, that it's not seen as a negative because, um, they see as a shortstop and then shortstops move over to second. But I think he is a legit middle that can play either spot defensively. But I love the bat. I love that he's up there swinging. I think I saw him, and this may have been, um, I don't think it was the perfect game event. It may have been a USA trial. He had three at-bats. He saw three pitches, three base hits. He was up there swinging. And I, I love kids like that. Yeah, and and I found it very good. Both of those kids, real respectful. And i tell you this much, Dave, you know, when I was 17 years old, I would have been stumbling around talking to anyone in the media. These guys are polished. They they know everyone at the event because they see them all. They know how to talk to the media and conduct themselves. It's amazing the maturity they have to make. And now they got NIL, you know, possibilities as well as signing bonuses if they're first rounders. Uh, so there's a lot going on with these players. But McGonagall, uh, he grew where he's playing. It's interesting because he's from Philly, and right. he says that basically. From his, you know, from the front of his school, they could see kind of downtown Philly. And, you know, he's a young kid, but his favorite player and the one he models himself after is is Chase Utley. And you talk about the hard-nosed, you know, throwback player. Uh, That kind of gives you an indication of where his head is and where he's coming from. Jenkins, what impressed me is this guy's motor. This guy, he is a natural leader and energizer. Now, some of it, it's eyewash, you know, some of it looks fake, but he's always talking. He's always involved. Um, he's He helps clean up, you know, stuff. He'll, you know, if he, if he's on, you know, in a position to take his teammates, uh, you know, hitting gloves or, or, or armor back to the dugout, he runs and does that. And what happens is the whole dugout starts acting that way. Yeah. So you have a very engaging, this is a natural leader. And, you know, he looks the part, the physical stature. You know, he's big. They got him playing center field. He probably is a corner outfielder for me. But lefty bat, and when you hear Paul O'Neill comps or or Todd Walker comps, you, you know this kid's got a chance. And I'm hearing that from people that don't throw that out just, you know, loosely. No, those are great. I mean, we've heard Derek Jeter, Paul O'Neill. Those are, those are tough things for kids to live up to. But I, I like those points you're making because we often don't talk about that um, on prospects. Those are things that scouts will watch. And even as a former college coach, you watch how kids, obviously they have to be able to play. Um, but you watch those kids that are able to generate um, the right way to play, the hustle on and off the field, the picking up of the glove in between innings, uh, the, the constant communication in, in uh, teammates' ears. Those are things that are lost right now. And not because I don't think, I don't think kids – sorry for the double negative, don't want to do that. They're not taught to do that. And it's, it's our generation. It's, you know, iPads, you know, Facebook, TikTok, texting, they're not forced to talk every day. So a skill like that with a talent like that, and now that you're saying how responsible he is as a teammate, to me, that translates to a major league club to say, okay, we're going to invest millions of dollars in somebody, all things being equal or a little bit off. This is a guy that we want to bank our future on. So that's good, good to hear. I'm glad kids are are still doing that. And somebody like him, who's a talent is standing out doing that. 
Yeah, and one last thing on, on, on Walker Jenkins. His team, I guess, as a junior, just like last May or whatever, they, they lost in the state finals, I think it was. And obviously it was a, it was a very heartbreaking loss. And as the team was packing up and leaving, he, he was sitting in the dugout reflecting. And obviously he needed a minute or two just to, it was a tough loss, you know, and they, they were digesting it. He gets up after that and he noticed there was some trash cups and so forth in the dugout. His team just loses in state title. He picks up all of the leftover cups and, and trash his teammates left and threw it in the garbage. And, yeah. and I asked him about that. It was written about, and I, I repeated the anecdote and asked him about it. And he was said it goes back to respecting the game. And I, I just was like, how many kids like that? Because everyone else is just, they're ticked off. They're out of there. No, I love that. That's that's uh, obviously probably reinforced by his, his coaches, but more importantly, his parents. I'm sure that comes from home. And good for him for doing that. That's, again, we talk about at the end of uh, Real Voices of the Game, we always ask our guests, what's it mean to be a ball player? Without question, the, the whoever the guest is comes back to respecting the game in some capacity and and good for him i became a fan of his now just through that story joe thanks for yeah. sharing that yeah that that's what i these are the things we you know we we want to kind of you know illuminate to our listeners we're running a little long but there are two more uh players i want to mention who caught my eye uh one's a two-way player alex philpot um he's a university of florida committee he's at strawberry crest high school in tampa florida uh right-handed pitcher outfielder this kid I think he's going to pitch. I think that's where he's going to end up. He is throwing about 92, but they were saying everyone's Vila was a little bit down in, in the uh, the October event uh, at Perfect Game. But this kid's an athlete, too, who's got really kind of elite speed for kind of a 6'3 uh, type of guy. But he, he, he looks like he has deception. Um, he's throwing 92 now, but I think the velo is going to, going to tick up to mid to upper nineties as he, as he kind of learns his body and, and, and gets better. And then another one, MJ Sal, interesting player, LSU commit from Plano, Texas at Hebron uh, high school, a little bit on the shorter side, but a lot of pitchability mid nineties. Uh, he's a guy, you know, going to an elite program like LSU. Um, these are two guys that, SEC commits, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they're both drafted and end up going pro. Yeah, they sound like it. And I love that there's a two-way guy. You know, with, with Otani having success in the majors, we've always kind of shied away from that. But maybe his presence and his success is causing not just other players, but teams to take a look at this as a possibility down the road. Yeah, and, and – the, these kids are fun to watch. And, and again, there was a lot more. I, you know, I'm one person. I can't get to all of them. But those are four I did stories on. Um, we encourage everyone to kind of support the, the amateurs, to support the colleges, the high schools. Uh, go watch these kids play when they're around. If you're in Arizona, go to the Fall League because um, it's really fun stuff. And, and Dave, I, this is a really fun uh, podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we were able to pull this off. I wanted to you know, kind of get these thoughts, these overviews off my chest and, and, and tell people what we're coming across and, uh, and, and just kind of let people know what we got on the channel as we, as we get out of here. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's great with, with what you did. And then, yeah, we didn't want to, this work of yours to go to waste because it's a part of, it's a really important part of the game because it's our future in the game right now. It's those guys that are in the middle, the middle of making it or, you know, or breaking it. And uh, it sounds like the future is bright based on the guys you saw. Yeah. And tell everyone how to find us. 
Uh, we are on Coach and Kernan Podcast Network. You can find we have six shows throughout the week. You can find us on Maybe Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. You got me, Dave. Are we going out? Yep. Yeah, we might have some technical stuff, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up now. Uh, thanks to everyone for for uh, listening and following along. Uh, this was a fun podcast to do with Dave D'Agostino. I'm Joe Forsaro, and uh, and we're going, going, gone.